0: Welcome all of you who are in person, who are joining us online. I hope that everyone has had a great week. It's been a stressful week with school beginning and all that's been thrown at us and everything and I'm glad that everyone is here planting their lives on the unchanging Word of God that does not change with good days and bad days, does not change with what is popular, what is cool, what is hip, what is relevant, what is irrelevant. God's Word does not change. And that's the firm foundation we're talking about. Before we get started today, I want to let you guys know that these t-shirts here are still for sale. Uh, they're all there for 10 bucks. You can get them back there, see me after church. Uh, they all, the, all Every bit of it goes to the India mission trip, which is still planned for next year. Um, and so all of that will go to that. So letting you guys know that. All right, so we are in... The series God's ways, best ways, and like I said, the main thing is that the wise dedicate their best to their own homes, but fools destroy their own homes. Uh, three proverbs I want you guys to remember. Proverbs 14.1 says this: The wise woman builds her house with her own hands; the foolish one tears hers down. Proverbs fifteen seventeen says this: Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Proverbs 15, 27, the greedy bring ruin to their households, but one, the one who hates bribes will live. I'm sensing a theme going through Proverbs here. Um, Two families in the state of New York were studied very carefully. One was the Max Jukes family. The other one was the Jonathan Edwards family. The thing that they discovered in this study is remarkable, that like begets like. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Check this out. Max Jukes was an unbelieving man, and he married a woman of like character who lacked principle. And among the known descendants, over 1,200 of them were studied. Check this out. 310 became professional vagrants 440 physically wrecked their lives with decadent uh, lifestyles. 130 were sent to prison for an average of 13 years each, seven of them for murder. There were over 100 who became alcoholics, 60 who became habitual thieves, 190 public prostitutes. Of the 20, 20, remember out of 1,200, 20 that actually learned a trade, 10 of them learned that trade in prison. It cost the state around $1.5 million to take care of them. They made no contribution whatsoever to society. In about the same era, the family of Jonathan Edwards came on the scene. Jonathan Edwards, a man of God, married a woman of like, character. Their family began and they became part of this study. The 300 of Edwards' descendants became pastors, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 became college professors. One, over 100 became attorneys. 30 of them became judges. 60 of them became physicians. Over 60 of them became authors of classics. And 14 of them became presidents of universities. There were numerous giants in American industry that emerged from this family. Three became U.S. Congressman, and one became the vice president of the United States. Now, it doesn't always work out because I did some research and found that that vice president of the United States that was descended from Jonathan Edwards was Aaron Burr, who shot Alexander Hamilton. Okay, it, it doesn't always work out, okay? But you get the point. It is impossible to study the book of Proverbs or even life without reading about the home. All right, The writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, who's known as the wisest person who ever lived, obviously saw the correlation between a strong home and blessing from God. Plain and simple, nothing has changed in more than 3,000 years. It's no front page news, you all, that the home you grow up in, the home you, you live, come, in, at the, uh, come home to at the end of the school day or the work day has a major impact on your life. It's not front page news. Back in the 80s when I was in school, uh, I started hearing the term dysfunctional homes. We heard so much about people from dysfunctional homes. No one ever defined what a dysfunctional home was, um, but it apparently explained anything and everything. It explained failure in school, discipline problems, inability to focus and concentrate, you name it. If a person was acting up, it was said, well, they're from a dysfunctional home. Even back then, people saw the correlation between the state of the home and basically everything in the person's life, whether young or old. And it's very clear in Scripture and in life, the home that you have can either be a blessing or a curse. And the wise person, the wise person, the person whose life has surrendered to Christ, will be incredibly intentional about the kind of home you are building. You may have a family. Uh, you may be single. You may be married with kids. You may be married without kids. You may be a single parent. You may be, you may be an empty nester. It doesn't matter. Every person has a home. Every person has a home. And you have a home and you're building it up or you're tearing it down. Proverbs 14, 14 1, like we said, says this. A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Now, it's interesting that Proverbs singles out the ladies here. All the guys are like, finally, we get you know, destroyed in the book of Proverbs. Finally, you know, the, 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 the women get some of this. So, um, uh, so we're, finally we get a break, all right? But it is, it is tailored to everyone because both men and women are are, are either building up or tearing down their homes. So let's take a look at the first way that, that, that we tear down our homes. There are two ways we ac- actively tear down our homes. One is by active destruction. Active destruction. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, Uh, dissensions, faction and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We actively destroy our homes. Listen, we actively destroy our homes when we allow sin into our homes. When we allow sin to permeate and to uh, to be in our homes, okay? You're actively destroying your home. If you're allowing things in that the word of God says is sin into your home, you're destroying it. It's like a termite, active destruction. For example, abuse, whether verbal, emotional, sexual, physical, or spiritual, doesn't matter. You say spiritual abuse? Yes, I've known many people who were abused by people using the word of God to control or intimidate. That's spiritual abuse has no place in the Christian home. You're destroying your home. Any kind of abuse uh, has no place in the Christian home. And if you are being abused right now, whether it's especially physical or sexual, you need, to, you need to call the police. Because your abuser, you're not doing your abuser any favors by allowing it to continue. All right, you need to call the police, you'll have the full support of this church. Um, and, and we in the church have no tolerance whatsoever for an abuser in the home, no matter who it is. It may be a leader, it may be a, a, a person that you look up to, doesn't matter. And no tolerance for any kind of abuse because that is actively destroying the home. All right, actively destroying your home. If you're constantly criticizing, uh, undermining trust, losing your temper, you're actively destroying your home. Uh, any sin in your, in your home is destroying your home, all right? We hear the word systemic a lot these days, usually um, to describe racism. But systemic means there's a system in place to get, keep the thing going. So there is such a thing as systemic sin in our families, in our homes, it's not that it's a momentary lapse of judgment. No, you have actually actively decided and been okay with sin in your home. And, you're, and you have a, a system to encourage that. All right? So is there systemic sin in your home? For example, are you living together outside of wedlock? That's systemic sin. That's not a momentary lapse. That's a decision you made. And you're living it out in disobedience to the word of God. Um, is there a legal activity going on in your home? I've been in homes where drugs are being grown, manufactured, sold right out of the homes. That's systemic sin, all right? That's not a momentary lapse of judgment. You have actually done this and, you're, and, and you have a system in place to keep that going. Is there active act of destruction in your home going on? Maybe not. Remember, there are two ways, two ways that you destroy a home. active destruction, the second one is this, unintentional neglect. Unintentional neglect. Proverbs 24, 30-31. We've, we've, I, I sh- shared this last week, but it's so, it is so important. I went past the field of a sluggard, past a vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. Stone walls in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding hands to rest, and poverty come on you like a thief and scarcely like an armed man. Remember, the default mode of your home is not, uh, is, is not positive. The default mode of this world is chaos. That's the default mode. That is what the baseline is. Everything starts with chaos. And if you do nothing, you will descend into chaos. Everything, okay? Disorder and deconstructions. For example, when I was a kid, I left my bicycle outside. Did it get shinier? No, what happened to it? It started to rust. Exactly, then it gets shinier and newer. It rusts, decomposes, if you don't maintain your house, does it, does it get better, does it get cleaner? The, the shingles on the roof get newer and, and shinier? No, it doesn't. The, word, the wood rots, the shingles fall off, the roof starts leaking. If you neglect things, it goes to chaos in your house. All you have to do to destroy your house is nothing. The same thing, if you want to destroy your home, the people in it, your legacy, all you have to do is nothing. Because chaos and deconstruction is the default that every home is moving towards without active investment. Okay, the same is, like I said, the same is true of your home. All you have to do to tear your home down, men, women, children, nothing. Don't invest in the people there. Don't love them. Don't, Don't bring joy. Don't bring discipleship into your home just neglect everybody, neglect everything. You will see your home fall apart like nothing doing. If you neglect the family, neglect the home, neglect what is important in favor of what is easy, that's how we destroy our homes. Remember, people, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is neglect. That's the opposite of love. You want to know how someone feels about you? If they love you or not? It's not that they're angry and yelling at you so they, they ignore you that's the opposite of love we tear our homes down like proverbs says by neglecting the things god has told us to engage in if you ask any foster parent neglect is as harmful if not more harmful than active abuse that's the way it is problem with unintentional neglect it can go on for years and us not notice it it's not that we're dynamiting the foundation of our homes it's just that we're just not investing in it most marriages don't die with an explosion. Most couples that I see fall apart. There hasn't been, and no one's been hit. No one's been, uh, there hasn't been adultery. It's just that the couples grow apart. He has her, his priorities, she has hers. And they just grow apart. Finally, they just realize they're just happier without the other person in their lives. That's how most marriages die. Like an old neglected house, their home just falls into disrepair. So we can destroy our homes, Proverbs says, by either active destruction or by unintentional neglect. Both are gonna destroy your home. And if there is systemic sin in your home, you need to get it out, it needs to be repented of, and you need to stop. You need to stop living, uh, 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 accommodating, and encouraging sin in your house because it's destroying you. And if you're, uh, 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 if you're unintentionally neglecting your home, it's time to get serious about what's important. All right, so we are talking about building the Christian home. Remember, this whole series is based on the law of sowing and reaping. You cannot reap something different than what you sow. Okay, whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. That's the law of sowing and reaping. We see it all throughout Proverbs. Whatever you plant is what's going to grow. Whatever you don't plant is what is not going to grow. Okay, law of sowing and reaping. So if we're going to have the kind of homes that God wants us to have, then we have to build the Christian home. Home. If we had to do three things, I'm gonna suggest three things for us today. Number one is this, we need to build peace in the home. Peace, peace is a beautiful word and it's a very, very, very needed right now in our homes. Proverbs 15, 17 says this, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. I know for a fact that I would rather eat onions every night in a house where there's peace, than filet mignon in a place where I can't stand, where there's discord and chaos. I know that's the, tr- that's the way most men are. I don't know how you ladies are, but I know that's how most men are. God's will for all homes that there be peace. See, the Hebrew word for this is shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom, okay? It's, it is a different understanding of peace See, in, in our Western understanding of peace, the word peace um, is, is kind of the absence of conflict where we're not yelling at each other, we're not throwing things at each other, we're not, we, you know, we're not angry at each other. We think that's peaceful. That's not the Hebrew concept of shalom. See, shalom is deeper than that. It's not just only the absence of conflict. It is the presence of wholeness, the presence of joy, the presence of love. You, you, you can have a western sense of peace in a house that's cold and icy where people aren't speaking to each other but at least there's peace see what I'm talking about but in sh- the Hebrew concept of shalom is a peace where there is relationship where there's love where there's wholeness where there, where there is mutual respect that is the concept of shalom and the Christian takes a, a, a big investment in building shalom in the home Okay, before there can be peace though before there can be shalom there has to be something else, and there has to, it's called trust. Before we can be peace in the home, there has to be trust in the home. More and more, I'm realizing that nothing can happen without trust. If you do not trust the people, if you are not trustworthy, there will be no peace. Everything falls apart. See, guys, trustworthy, consistent people build trust and therefore build peace. See, my experience as a husband and as a father and as a pastor I would say this, I say most of many, if not most of the things that upset peace in the home, pulled down to finances. They do. How we spend money, how we hide the things that we do with money. How we uh, uh, go away from, uh, we do things without consulting our spouse, without buy-in from the rest of our family. How we do that upsets more peace in the home than just about anything else because it destroys trust. That's one of the main reasons we teach Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University in this church every single year. We take it seriously because so much chaos and so much uh, lack of peace boils down to finances. That's why I went through the certification process to be a Dave Ramsey's uh, certified financial coach. All right? That's, I take it so seriously because I want peace in the homes of the people, in this church, in this community. If there isn't financial peace in the home, there won't really be any peace in the home. How important is it that we build peace into the home? How important is that? Right now, i say it's more important than ever because there's no peace anywhere else. There's no peace anywhere else. Uh, the uncertainty and stress in our world right now is unprecedented. I've been thinking about this. We can't control goes on outside in the halls of power. President Biden is not calling me up and asking my opinion on anything, right? I have no control over that. We can't control our own homes. We can't build a home that's an oasis in the midst of a sea of uncertainty and chaos and destruction and division, all right? We can't, we can't, we can't control goes on outside, but we can control what goes on in our homes. Our homes can be places of respite and, and peace and shalom, an, an oasis in a desert, I guess, for the people in our homes. That's what we can do, okay? So it's so important to build peace in the home. The second thing is, is this. We're building up the Christian home. We're gonna, the wise woman builds her home with her own two hands. This is it. Building priorities in the home. Luke 9.25, Jesus asks a stinging question to his people. It is a great question, and we have to have an answer for it. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Wow. That is a fantastic question. See, if we're going to build Christian homes, we have to have our priorities in order. If we're going to be blessed by God, we have to have our priorities in order. And the priorities in the Christian home in this order are this, God spouse, children, job, in that order, in that order alone, okay, a home built on these priorities, in this order, will never be shaken, never be shaken. Jesus told a parable about two houses, one built on sand and one built on rock. They looked the same. They looked identical. And while the weather was good and while times were good, they both were functional. But then the storm came, the the parable says the streams rose up, the wind blew and beat on the houses. The one on the rock stayed firm because it had its foundation on the rock, but the one built on sand fell with a great crash. Right? Like I said, the problem is this. Both houses looked identical until they were tested. You can have what looks like a successful home, people. That's the scary part. You can have what looks like a successful home. You can have all the things that this world says are marks of success. You can be the envy of the neighbors. You can have the job, you can have the money, you can have the car, you can have the the status, you can have all of those things that this world says are so important, but it's a foundation of sand. What will it look like when the day of testing comes? So you guys, we find our priorities not in what the world says, we find our priorities in what the word of God says. And we find our priorities not in what we say, but in how we live. You wanna know what your priorities are? Look how you live. Are you building your home on these four priorities in this order? Number one, God first. Meaning God first. God gets the first day of our week. He gets the first tenth of our income. He gets the first say in every decision. He gets the first part of our day. He gets the first consideration in every action. That's what it means to prioritize God first. That's what God first means. And if God is not first, people, I have a warning, a loving warning. If God is not first, he's not there at all. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. He will not play second fiddle. If he's not first. He's not there at all. He will not allow himself to be demeaned in that way. And we shouldn't try to demean him in that way. God first. Then our spouses, if you're married. Spouses next. That's your second priority. Yes spouse gets priority even over the children a couple that prioritizes their children over each other are tearing their home down really are let me say something to both uh, married people and their children all right listen up send the kids to bed before you go to bed so you and your spouse can have evening time together your children don't need it's not that your children are evil they just don't need to be with you all the time you need to let them know that there are times, spouses, that your children are not welcome. This is our time. You go to bed, you do this. I, we're not available to you right now. And I, I, there, there are some parents that are bristling right now. How dare you say it to a child? Well, this is it. For our children, about the, about, about the parents that are bristling, about children being third, listen up. Here's the truth, you'll be better parents to your children if they're third. Than if they're first or second. With God first, you will have the power of the Holy Spirit and God's relationship leading you and guiding you as a parent. And then if it, with, with your spouse second, you will be a much you will have a, a, a rock solid marriage, a rock-solid foundation in your home from which to parent more effectively. You will parent from a position of strength rather than the position of weakness or brokenness. Your children will be blessed if you, they are put third. God first, spouse second, children third, then your job. Work is a priority. It's very important. It's just not the first one, it's fourth. It's fourth, all right? Listen, people, they'll post your job opening before they post your obituary. There are plenty of people that can do your job at work. You think you're, you think you're indispensable, but, but you're not. I'm not, I, I, if, I was to, uh, if I was to die, there would be another guy up here preaching the next Sunday, okay? Same is true with you. There are plenty of people that can do your job at work, but there's only one person who can do your job with your spouse or your children, and that is you. Okay? The home that's built on these priorities, in this order, we built up strong and firm. And when the storms arise and hard times come, you will endure to the end. God, spouse, children, job, in that order, and that order alone, for what the word of God says will be a blessed home. The third thing is this, we want to build honor into the home. Build honor. The fifth commandment says this, honor your father and your mother so that you may be, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is given, giving you. Law of sowing and reaping. Honor your father and mother is what you sow, you reap living long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. We want to build honor-based homes. Now, a lot of you have no idea what an honor-based home is, and that's, there's a good reason for that because it's not been, it's not been shown to us. Many homes aren't honor based. They're rule based, rule based homes. You follow the rules because, well, because that's what the rules are. That's the way a lot of us were brought up. That's the way a lot of homes are, are being conducted right now. There's nothing wrong with rules. Rules are okay, some are necessary, I get that. I'm not an anarchist. But what we want in our homes is honor because honor is tied to relationship. Listen to that again. Honor is tied to relationship. Rules aren't. In a rule-based home, you break rules. But in an honor-based home, you break relationship. Let me say that again. In a rule-based home, you break rules. But in an honor-based home, you break relationship. For example, in a rule-based home, the rule is don't lie. That's a good rule. That's a very good rule. God gave us that in the Ten Commandments. That's a good rule. Okay, I don't like people to lie. I don't like when people lie to me, this kind of thing. Okay, I get it. Don't lie, that's the rule. In a rule-based home, if you lie, you get grounded. Or worse, there's a punishment for breaking that rule. That's in a rule-based home. Okay? In an honor-based home, you aren't breaking the rule. You're breaking the relationship. Okay? If you have, broken the, you have broken the relationship with your parent, um, of your spouse, or your child, or your sibling, okay. in an honor-based home, the breaking of relationship is what we focus on. Because in punishments in an honor-based home are about restoring that relationship. It's about repentance. It's about restoring that valued relationship. That's what the punishment is, or the discipline is. In a rule-based home, the child can lie to a parent, get grounded for a week, and then that's it. There's no restoration, there's no repentance, there's no reestablishing of that relationship because it's the rule that's important, right? But hopefully the child learns not to do that again. But what about the relationship that's been destroyed? When someone lies to me, that destroys the relationship. That's a dishonoring thing to me. That is, that is treating me terribly, okay? That relationship is broken. And so if someone just, you know, has to pay a fine or something, well, what is that? We still are not restored, okay? See, the sin of lying is relational, It's a breaking of trust, dishonoring of the person that you lie to. Being grounded doesn't restore that relationship that was broken, people. An honor-based home, there's an emphasis on repentance, like I said, of asking forgiveness, of restoring that broken relationship. Building an honor-based home is imperative. See, in an honor-based home, there's little need for rules. Little need for rules. Think about it, in a functional marriage, when you're loved, do you have rules? No. No, you do what's best for that person because you love the person. You don't need to be told not to hit them or to not to lie to them, or you don't have to be told those things because you value the relationship and you won't do anything to destroy it. That's what honor is. Okay? In an honor-based home, the emphasis on it is valuing the relationship, and discipline is built on restoring that relationship. See, we we take the honor that we have for God. The reason that we don't sin isn't because we're concerned about breaking rules. Okay, that's not it. The Israelites tried that, and the Old Testament didn't work. The reason we don't sin is because we value the relationship with God with so much that every time we sin, we break that and we destroy it, and we hurt the person that we love the most, and we will never do that because we love God, and that's why we don't sin. Okay, it's a valuing of the relationships, the honoring of God, and we bring that same concept into our homes. Okay, we, we move the same mentality. Honor your father and your mother. Mothers and fathers, honor your children. Siblings, honor your siblings. Value the relationship with them and realize that a sin or anything is a breaking of that. And that your actions should be repentance and restoring that relationship. That's how we have honor-based homes. That's what the Christian home is. And that's what Christian parents and Christian mothers and Christian fathers and Christian husbands, Christian wives dedicate their lives to building. The reason this is so important, the reason it's so important to build up the Christian home, I've never seen a week like we just had. I don't know if you guys were thrown off kilter this week. I was. And I wrote this on my Facebook page, and I think it sums it up very well. I just have this message to our church. And I wrote this. I said, pray for all the parents of Kentucky school children right now, including me and Rachel. No matter what side of the fence you fall on with decisions being made about schools, this is stressful beyond imagine. If you don't have children in school right now, count your lucky stars. For 19 months now, we've been unable to get our balance. We've been unable to plant our feet and say, this is how things are. This is what we can expect. This is what we can count on. For 19 months, I haven't been able to say that. Instead, it's been a nonstop barrage of different rules, different mandates, policy changes, policy updates, mandate extensions, inconsistent data, and everything else, often with little to no warning. Sixteen hours before school started, governor mandated masks for all school children, direct contradiction to the decisions of around 80% of school districts. We had planned on doing this, and the day before school, everything changed. This is another curveball. And a, and, and a 19 month of curveballs being thrown at us constantly. Then, less than 40 hours later, the KDE meets and mandates mass for the entire rest of the school year. And, and, I mean, I, and I, I wrote this in my cynical mood I said, at least they're honest. They didn't try to hoodwink us with the 30 day mandate that we got last year, well, knowing it wasn't going to be limited to 30 days, but said anyway, so we will be less likely to get upset about it. I said, we parents are tired, stressed, angry, and apprehensive about what to do next. We all know this is just the beginning. One thing we learned last year, that they never tell us the full story all at once. 15 days to flatten the curve is a laughable statement now. We bought it because, well, it's only 15 days we can do that. And I wrote this. I said, most of all, I hate that I'm here at this place, but I really have no alternative. I said, I've lost trust. Trust that I don't ever see coming back. I've lost trust in the media. I don't believe what I read or hear anymore. Been lied to, had too many stories spun for political advantage, too much narrative forced down my throat, and seen too many stories disproved. I said, that's amazing. I listened to it as long as I did. If a friend had lied to me as much as the media had, I would have written them off a long time ago. I said, you don't know if those numbers on the screen are real. They might be. They may not be. You don't know if the news anchor is telling the truth. He might be. He might not be. He may be a real journalist. He may also be a highly paid propagandist, force-feeding a narrative down your throat. Since you don't know hard to trust. I certainly don't anymore. I said, I've lost trust in government officials. I don't believe they're acting in our best interests. I don't even think they even know what they're doing. I think they're doing what's best for them, for sure. I certainly don't think they have any concern for us. I don't even believe that they love their country half the time. I think they love themselves, and getting what they can get while the getting's good, that's about it. At this point, a politician could tell me the sun is up at midday, and I doubt I'd believe it. Lost trust in just in, about anything and everything except God and the people I know. I talk to more and more people who are exactly where I am, and I hate being here. People, I want to believe that people in authority are noble and self sacrificial and want what's best for their constituents. I want to believe that leaders love this country and want it to be the best it can be. I want to believe in honest reporters who don't spin things for their own political narrative and don't suppress stories that go against their agenda and magnify the stories that support it. I want to believe those things. I just don't anymore. I probably never will for the rest of my life. However, one thing hasn't changed. And that's my faith in the word of God and God's son, Jesus Christ, and his church. Christ is the one thing I can plant my feet on right now Christ, He's the only one who hasn't thrown me off balance, told me contradictory stories, manipulated my emotions to get me to do something, act a certain way, or change stories at a drop of a hat. He's the only one who has sacrificed himself for my best interests instead of sacrificing me and my children for his. He's the only one who looks at it and says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one who's told me the same consistent gospel story for 47 years of my life. He's the only one whose word is unchanging, not subject to circumstances or events or rulers or authorities. People around me also, real people, not friends on Facebook, not friends on Twitter or social media. I'm talking real people in my life. Those are the people I can count on. These aren't avatars on a screen somewhere. These are friends The people I talk to -to face-to-face that have been in my home for coffee and meals and dinners and cookouts and game nights. These are the people I worship with on Sunday morning. These are the people I play soccer with or hunt with or ride motorcycles with or play music with. These things, you all, in a world of uncertainty and fake everything are the things we can plant our feet on. God and the people around us that we know If it's on a screen or said by someone I don't personally know, I'm probably not likely to believe it. Well done, media and politicians and officials I wrote. This is what you created. It's where lots of Americans are right now. And the number will only increase because you've destroyed your credibility, destroyed trust. In the last 19 months, nothing's been for sure. Nothing but God and his church I think that's, where we, that's all we have, people. I'm telling you, church, that if you are like me and you feel like you've been off balance, you've not been able to plant your feet on anything and put say, this is what I'm gonna do, there's no foundation, everything is shifting, everything is, is, is up in the air, we don't know what's coming next week or next month. If you're like me, then I am imploring you that that right there, leave it outside Plant your feet, your life, your family, your future on the word of God Himself. Plant your feet on the unchanging words of Scripture that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the gospel story, that there's good news, bad news, and good news. Good news is God created the world. Bad news is we blew it with our sin. Good news is He redeemed it. That's the gospel story, it hasn't changed. With anything. Plant your life there. Plant your future there. Plant the peace in your heart there. And let's start start investing in the people that we know. Let's get in community groups. Let's develop strong relationships here. Let's say goodbye to social media. Let's say goodbye to all the things that's going on there. We don't even know if those people are real. We know these people are real. We know the people in our lives, people in our homes, people in our families, people in our church, people in our community, we know those are real. And let's start planting our, our, our thoughts there because we just simply, outside for 19 months, we can't get our feet under us. So that's where I am. I'm planting my feet squarely in the word of God and the, tr- and the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and in you all, the people that I know, the people I can see, that's where I am because those are the only two things I can really trust that are real right now. Build your homes. Don't worry about social media and what's going on out there. Build your homes. Let's focus on our own homes. Let's focus on our own lives. Let's invest in the people in our families. Let's invest in the people that are real, the people that we can influence, the people that we can disciple. Let's make our homes stand in stark contrast to the chaos and the destruction that is going on out there and the uncertainty. Let us, uh, when our children and our spouses and our friends come into our home, let them just breathe a sigh of relief. Man, this place is awesome. Because here there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience, and there's kindness, and there's goodness, and there's faithfulness, and there's gentleness, and there's self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our homes. That's so what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking ask the band to come on back up. When Moses, when, when, uh, when Moses was standing before the people, the Lord said, I want you to bless the nation of Israel. I want you to bless them. And When you bless them, I want you to say this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was the blessing that God wanted Moses to speak over the Israelite family. Over the Israelite home. Over the nation. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace peace. Let's build our homes so they are places of peace, places of shalom in a world that is disintegrating and untrustworthy. I want to ask you to stand up and let's sing this together.